Isaiah 7. We did Isaiah 6 last week. We're going to do Isaiah 7, actually Isaiah 7 through 8, 10. So we're going to finish our sermon in chapter 8, verse 10 this morning. So starting in 7, 1, going all the way through chapter 8, verse 10. So we've got some work to do this morning. I am going to, because it's such a long passage, I'm just going to read it as we go. I'm not going to read the whole thing ahead of time. I'm going to read it um, as we go uh, this morning. So we're starting at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. We're going to pray, and then we will dive in. God, we thank you for your word, and we have a lot here this morning to think about, to consider. And we pray that you would help us as we work our way through it. Um, I pray that you would give us the strength um, and the attentiveness um, to to pay attention and to submit to your word. We pray that you give us the grace by your spirit to to believe it um, and to trust it and to obey it. Um, We we know uh, that you are the Ancient of Days. We know... Um, that you know our name, we know we can trust you, we know you have all the power and all the glory, um, but we have hard time, we have a hard time sometimes believing that and living in it, so we pray that you would help us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Um, sometimes people start an announcement, you know, they start it with saying, good news, like, uh, like I can say to you, good news, Michigan beat Ohio State in football. Um, good news, we're having meatloaf for dinner. Good news, the governor won re-election four more years. Uh, the thing about good news, of course, is that it's only good news for the people who like it. If you're, if, you're, if you're a reasonable, decent human being and you prefer Michigan over Ohio State as all reasonable, decent human beings do, then that isn't truly good news. And if you like meatloaf, it's good news that we're having it. If you, if you happen to vote for the governor and you, you, you wanted them to win, then four more years is good. Um, Emmanuel, God is with us. This is wonderful good news But is it good news for everyone? As we open up Isaiah chapter 7, we start to get an answer um, to that question. Like I said, we're going through a pretty large chunk of Scripture, and then actually we're going to tack on some verses from Matthew at the end of it. So we have a lot of work to do. So what we're going to do is we're going to divide our sermon up into four parts. Okay, So this will help us keep it organized in our mind. Um. And it'll help you kind of see that there is light at the end of the tunnel. We will eventually get done. So, four parts to the sermon. God gives Ahaz a gracious ultimatum. Then God gives Ahaz the punishment he deserves. Then God gives us a gracious ultimatum. And part four, God gives Jesus the punishment we deserve. God gives Ahaz a gracious ultimatum. He gives Ahaz the punishment he deserves. He gives us a gracious ultimatum, and he gives Jesus the punishment we deserve. So that's our outline. With that in mind, we're going to work our way through our verses. Part one, God gives Ahaz 
a gracious ultimatum. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 7, we're going to meet Uzziah's grandson. We met Uzziah, well, no, he died last week, um, but we talked about Uzziah for a minute last week. Uh, here's his grandson. It's about five years after Uzziah died. Here's his grandson. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Alright, so last week we talked for a few minutes about like the great crisis. In 735 BC, there is a tremendous crisis in this region of the world. And that crisis is the Assyrian Empire. Assyria. What are we going to do about Assyria? The Assyrian Empire was growing strong, and they were the big bullies of the region, and they were taking out whoever they wanted to take out. They were devouring whoever they wanted to devour. They were growing stronger, seemingly by the day. What are we going to do about Assyria? The smaller nations are panicking. So, Ephraim and Syria have joined forces to fight against Assyria. So when you see Ephraim there in this chapter, understand that that's Israel. Um, So, um, a couple generations earlier, Israel was all one country, right? One nation, and then they split. Judah was to the south, Judah took the southern two tribes, and Israel, or Ephraim, took the ten northern tribes. So, so, so Judah is now on its own, That's the, and so King Ahaz is the king of Judah. So you got King Ahaz of Judah, and then you have Ephraim and Syria, and they have banded together to try to fight against Assyria, and they want Judah to join with them. Three is better than two. Come along, help us destroy Assyria. Help us to at least stop Assyria. So they're thinking Ephraim, Judah, Syria would be a great, um, a great three-nation coalition against Assyria. Ahaz and the nation of Judah want nothing to do with it. They don't, they want to be independent. They want to do their own thing. They do not want to join in with Ephraim and Syria. So Ephraim and Syria for reasons that are not incredibly clear to me, decide to attack Judah. Their plan is to take over Judah, to set their own king up in Jerusalem, in the capital city, and then they'll have their three-nation coalition. They'll have their alliance, and then that way they'll be able to fight against Assyria. That's Ephraim and Syria's plan. Kind of swallow up Judah and set their own king up there, and then fight Assyria as a three-nation army. Ahaz wants nothing to do with this. So, so, Syria and Ephraim are getting ready to attack. And they're getting ready to attack Judah, and so Ahaz and all of his people are shaking like the, like the forest in a really big windstorm. Their hearts are shaking. They're afraid. Ahaz is about to do something incredibly stupid because because that's what Ahaz does. Ahaz 
instead of asking God for help, Ahaz is going to, believe it or not, he is going to ask Assyria for help. Assyria is the big bully in the region. Syria and Ephraim have lined up against Ahaz. Ahaz is going to get Assyria, the big bully, to help him. This is, many commentators and teachers say, it's a lot like Ahaz the mouse, right? He's a mouse. He's having trouble with two rats. So he's going to go to the cat for help. The cat absolutely will take care of the two rats, and he'll have the mouse for dessert. This is stupid. This just makes no sense whatsoever. You don't ask help from the biggest bully on the block to help you take care of the other two bullies. He'll probably take care of them just for fun, and then he'll take care of you. But but Ahaz does not want to turn to God. That's the point of of this chapter. He does not want to turn to God. Ahaz is planning to turn to Assyria for help, rather than asking God for help. So God gives him this gracious ultimatum. Verse 3, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son. So this is interesting. This is like take your son to work day, right? Isaiah has to go and meet Ahaz, but he needs to take his young son with him. Why would Isaiah take his son to do this? It's because Shear Jashub, his name means a remnant will return. So this is God's gracious, kind, gentle way of saying, King Ahaz, you want to be a part of the remnant. Pretty soon there are going to be two groups of people. There are going to be the people who don't trust God, and they get devoured. And then there are going to be people who do trust God, and they survive. Life is hard, but they survive. Trouble goes up to their neck, but they survive. You want to be among those who survive. This is, this is just yet another gentle reminder. Ahaz, you want to be among the remnant. You want to be among the believers. We'll see what Ahaz has to say about this. So, Ahaz, the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to Ahaz, you and Shir Jashub, your son. Um, let your wife get some work done around the house. Take your son to work with you. At the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. So that's where Ahaz is. Ahaz is out checking supplies. Ahaz knows the attack is coming. He's checking the water supply. He's stockpiling. And say to him, be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramalia. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin, and within 65 years Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. God is saying, to, God is saying to Ahaz, I, I understand what's happening. Like, I, I don't need to watch the news. I, I know what's going on. I understand what's happening. Don't worry about it. God is saying to Ahaz, do not panic about Syria and Ephraim. Do not worry about them. They are two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Which means that they're like, they're like burning out cigarette butts. 
They are on their way out. They are a couple of nothings. This is not a problem. I know that they're terrifying you. I know they're making big plans. I'm telling you, it's not going to work. God is saying to Ahaz, you don't have to worry about it. Do not fear. Do not let your heart be faint. In 65 years, Ephraim is not even going to be a thing. They're going to be scattered all over the land. It's, it's, it's over for these guys. But then he says, in verse 10, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So he's, in other words, what he's saying is, Ahaz, if you don't turn to God, if you don't trust in God, you will fall as well. If you decide to turn to Assyria for help, rather than turning to the Lord for help, you will fall as well. You will end up like Syria and Israel. You will be ruined. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And then there's no response from Ahaz. We don't know if, if, if he said anything, but Scripture doesn't tell us that he said anything. He hears the word of the Lord, he hears this gracious ultimatum, and, and it's radio silence from Ahaz. Now, God, of course, knows the, the rebellion and the unbelief that is in Ahaz's heart. And if you would read Ahaz's biography as it is in the book of Kings, you would also know, we're not going to do it today, but you would also know the, the rebellion and the, and the unbelief that is in Ahaz's heart. By the end of his reign, Ahaz proves to anyone that has eyes to see that he is not a good king. He is an awful king. He's an awful man. By the end of his reign, he will have brought altars for false gods into the Lord's temple. He, he says to his priest, he says, I, I, I've seen some really cool altars to false gods there in a foreign country. I want you to, I want you to build an altar just like that for, for our temple. Worse than that, he's going to take gold and silver that's in the temple that's for the work of the Lord, and he's going he's to bribe Assyria with it. He's going to take money that should be to the Lord and, and designated for the Lord, and he's going to, and he's going to turn to Assyria rather than turning to the Lord. He's going to, he's going to try to bribe Assyria with it, which is not going to end well. And worse of all, than all that, he's going to sacrifice his own children to false gods. He is going to participate in child sacrifice. In the end, it will be clear to everyone, Ahaz wants nothing to do with the ways of the Lord. And God knows this. God knows how it's going to end, but God is also incredibly patient. So when Ahaz doesn't respond, God sends word again to him through, Israel, to, through, through Isaiah. Verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. This is a very, very rare thing for God to do. God is saying to Ahaz, I will show you that you can trust me. I will give you any sign that your little heart can imagine. You name it and I'll do it. Ahaz is, God is saying to Ahaz, I want to prove that you can trust me. But remember last week um, in Isaiah 6 when God told Isaiah that the people would not believe, they would not repent, they would not turn to God, they would not want the word of God. Isaiah is seeing this firsthand in chapter 7. Ahaz says in verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. 
Now, this sounds really spiritual, but he is directly disobeying the Lord. He is directly disobeying the Lord. The Lord says, ask me for a sign. And Ahaz says, no, I don't want to do that. It's because he doesn't want to trust God. He doesn't want God's help. He doesn't want God's word or God's promises because he doesn't want God. He doesn't want to have to obey God. He doesn't want to have to honor God. He doesn't want to have to do life God's way. He wants to do things his own way. He wants to make his own choices. He wants to do what seems best to him. He does not want to repent of his disobedience, his idolatry, his rebellion. So he refuses to do what God tells him to do. It may sound spiritual, but it is direct disobedience. He is refusing to turn to God for help. He is saying, I do not want to be among the remnant who believe. I don't want to be among those who obey the word of God and trust his promises. I don't want that. I want to do things my own way. So that brings us to the second part of our passage. Part two, God gives Ahaz the punishment he deserves. Ahaz rebelled against God. He has rejected God. So God gives Ahaz the punishment he deserves. Continuing on in chapter 7, verse 13. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. And I think he uses O house of David a few times in this passage. I think it's to remind Ahaz of the great promises that God gave to the house of David. That he's turning his back on. O house of David, is it too little that you, for, for you to weary men that you weary my God? So, he says, you're trying the patience of men. That's bad enough. Is it, is it, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna try the patience of God as well? Then he says, you didn't ask for a sign. God's gonna give you one anyhow. Verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't want one? You're gonna get one anyhow. You're gonna get one anyhow. Behold, and this is a famous verse. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. In other words, you don't want a sign, I'm going to give you one anyhow, Ahaz. There is this little boy who is going to be born. And, and before he is old enough to eat like the good stuff, before he's even old enough to, to know really the difference between choosing evil or choosing good, so just in a few years here, you can be sure that these two kings that you're afraid of, Ephraim and, and, and Syria, they're going to be deserted. Their, their land is going to be desert, deserted. They're going to be defeated. And you can be sure of this. And it's going to happen before this little boy is really very old at all. Now, we, most of us probably know that, that the, the, these words were ultimately and finally about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew 1 is going to, is, Matthew is going to quote these words in, in, in his gospel about the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ is the ultimate and final proof that God is indeed with us. That Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. But it also seems clear in these verses uh, that, that, that Isaiah, that, that there was going to be a, a baby that was born 
that Isaiah and Ahaz would know about, and this baby would be a sign that God was indeed going to keep his word. And there's a lot of debate about that. Um, and if you're interested in my, in my brilliant thoughts about that debate, you can talk to me some other time. You can email me. Um, I've done a lot of research on it, and none of it's getting into the sermon. So I would love to have the excuse to talk to somebody about it, but we don't have time in the sermon. Uh, but the point is, no matter who this baby was, the point is the word of God held true. Before that boy would have been old enough to fend for himself, Israel and Syria were defeated just like God said they would be. God was indeed with his people. And this would have been wonderful good news that God was with his people. Except for the sad reality that Ahaz and the vast majority of his people had turned their back on God. They had turned to Assyria for help. And look at verse 17. This is a horrifying... These next few verses are just scary. They're just scary. The Lord, because you have rejected, because you have rejected, the, the, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. So there was a dark day in the history of Israel and Judah where the, where the nations split. The dark day. This is going to be just that bad or worse. And what is it that the, that the Lord is going to bring upon the people? He's going to bring upon them the king of Assyria. God is saying to his people, he's saying, Ahaz, you wanted the king of Assyria, you're going to get him. You asked for the king of Assyria, get ready, because I'm going to give him to you. You wanted him, you're getting him. And by the way, just a little side note here, this is the way it works with anything that we choose instead of God. Anything we choose rather than God. You, you, you want lust. You want bitterness. You want worry. You want greed. You're going you're gonna to throw yourself into one of those rather than turning to God. You're going to do that instead of trusting in God. Okay. You're, you're going to get what you want. And in the end, it will own you. You turn anywhere but God. You turn to lust or bitterness or worry or greed. In the end, it will own you. Verse 18, In that day, the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on and all the thorn bushes and all the pastures. You understand, like, God is bringing the king of Assyria. God is bringing the enemies, and the enemies are going to take over everything. When it says they will settle in the steep ravines and the clefts of the rocks, that just means they're settling everywhere that's possible to settle. They're, they're settling, they're, they're, they're filling the land. They're flooding the land. They're settling everywhere. They're taking over everything. Verse 20 is one of the, just a, uh, just one of the harshest verses. It says, in that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. 
Do you, like, so we got we to gotta understand what's happening here. In, in the Bible, uh, when, an enemy would, when an enemy would shave their victims, this was, this was humiliation. This was their way of just shaming them and humiliating them and disgracing them and saying, we own you and there's nothing you can do about it. And what we have to see in this verse is that the Lord is the one doing this to his people and he's using a hired razor. A razor that is hired. He is, he, which is a, a way of saying, Assyria are not my people. They're not my chosen people, but I'll use them for this. I'll use them to accomplish my purposes. I'll use them to get it done. I'm going to hire a razor from beyond the river. I, I would rather use my people to accomplish my purposes. Those were the good old days. God says, I will humiliate my people and I will use king, the king of Assyria as my razor. God says, you, you've chosen the king of Assyria rather than me. You're going to get him. Verse 21, In that day a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. That is simply saying there's not going to be very many people there. There's going to be plenty of food because there's not very many people. Not very many people. Whatever young cows, whatever cows and sheep are left will be plenty to feed whoever might make it. In that day, verse 23, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows a man will come there, for the land will be briars and thorns. There's no more farming. There's no more good land for crops. There's no more farms. We, we are doing pretty good as an agricultural, as an agrarian society. We are making strides. We are doing pretty good. This is going to set us back. This is going to set us back to a different age. This is going to set us way back. Verse 25, And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. It's over. This used to be a, a successful, prosperous, fruitful land, and it is now over. You have wanted the king of Assyria, and God has given him to you. Let's move on quickly. Part three God gives us a gracious ultimatum. God gives us a gracious ultimatum. Chapter 8, verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Take a large tablet and write on it. It's got to be large because look at, the, look at this word you've got to write on it. Take a large tablet and write on it in common characters belonging to Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Belonging to Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses. Uriah the priest. Uriah the priest, by the way, was the one who, who, who built the, the um, altar, the foreign altar in the temple of the Lord. So it's not that he's reliable because he has good character, but it's because he's well known. And if, he, and if he attests to it, everybody will believe him. I will get reliable witnesses. Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberachiah uh, to attest for me. I don't know who Zech the son of Jeb was, but he was another guy everybody knew. Verse 3, and I went to the prophetess, 
his wife. Isaiah went into his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Meher Shalhel Hashbaz, because middle school is not hard enough. Call his name Meher Shalhel Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So, so a lot of people, and again, I actually disagree, but that's just because I'm a grouch. A lot of people believe that this is the son that was prophesied in chapter 7. Um, I'm not sure about that. But, but again, what is clear here is that we have at least one more son, or it's the same one these prophets. I, I'm not sure. But we have another son here who, before he reaches a certain age, Meher Shalhel Hashbaz, before he's a certain age, Syria and Israel will be plundered. And that's what Meher Shalhel Hashbaz, that's what his name means. It means quick to plunder, swift to spoil. It's God's way of saying, it's God's way of saying, um, Syria and Ephraim are going to be routed. They're going to be plundered. They're going to be defeated. Assyria is going to, is going to plunder them. Write it down. Big plain letters that everyone can see. Get a couple of witnesses to attest to it. Even more than that, have a son and name him this. Why? Verse 5, the Lord spoke to me again because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramalia. In other words, they refused the, the option of trusting in God. That didn't seem impressive to them. That didn't seem strong enough. It didn't seem good enough. They rejected that and they have jumped in with Assyria. Verse 7, therefore, Behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah, and it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. And this is where it gets good for you and me. You were wondering, weren't you? When, is, when does this become a fun Christmas message? You're waiting for the sermon to kind of turn the corner into like a fun Christmas thing, right? And we got the trees and everything. Because here's what Isaiah is going to do. Isaiah is going to do something very surprising. Because he is saying, he's saying, yes, the, the trouble is up to our neck. The, the, the danger is up to our neck. He's saying, yes, life is very, very bad. Even for the remnant. Even for the people who are holding fast to the promises of God. We are feeling it. We are feeling it. The, the, the people who have rejected God, they are getting what they deserve, and we see it, but we are feeling it as well. There is trouble. There is, there is trouble in this world. And we are up to our necks in it. And so Isaiah does something very unusual for someone who can, who is standing on his tiptoes, almost, I mean, and, and getting ready to drown. He does something very unusual for that. He, he starts to talk trash. Very interesting. Very interesting. 
you're at a college or a high school basketball game and your team is blowing out the other team, back in the day, I don't know if they do this anymore, but, but um, uh, years ago in the, in the 1900s, back when I played basketball, we used to yell, warm up the bus. That was our way of saying, this game is over. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. And we could yell that because we were up by like 45. And we were just having fun. Now, our coach wouldn't let us players yell that, but we would chuckle when our fans said it. It's a wrap. It's odd, though, for Isaiah to be yelling out, warm up the bus, when he's about to drown. When trouble is up to his chin. It's a weird time to say what he's saying. But look at what he says. Verses 9 and 10, he starts yelling at the kings of the earth. He starts threatening the kings of the earth. He's done talking to Ahaz. It's over. Ahaz has made his bed. He's lying in it. Now he's turning to Assyria and to anybody else who might rise up against God. He says, be broken, you, you peoples. He's done talking to Judah. He says, be broken, you peoples, and be shattered. Give ear, all you far countries. Swallows a little bit of water, spits it out, and yells again. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. God is with us. So, Isaiah's done with King Ahaz. He's like, ah, that dude's a fool. I'm done with him. But Isaiah remembers... And he's very familiar with Ahaz's great, 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 great grandpa, David. And God said through David that the nations, God says in Psalm 2, the nations are going to plot against me. When they do, I will laugh at them. God says those nations that, that rise up against me, I find them funny. I find them comical, that they think that they can do something to thwart my plans. I find it interesting, I, the Ancient of Days, I find it very interesting that any little nation thinks that they're going to rise up against me and and stop me from doing what I want to do. I'm going to accomplish my purposes. And I promise you, in the end, you will not rise up against my anointed. You rise up against my anointed, you plot against my anointed, I'm going to make a mockery of you. This is what God has said through King David. And so Ahaz, on his tiptoes, yelling out Psalm 2 at the enemies of God. He's saying, King of Assyria, you do your worst. You you take counsel against the Lord and against His anointed. You will, in the end, come to nothing. Verse 10 says, You will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand. Why? Because Emmanuel. Because God is with us. God is with us. And so this is the gracious ultimatum that God gives to you and to me. When we are, st- when we are up to our neck in trouble and sorrow. When we, are, when we are on our tiptoes in trouble and sorrow and heartbreak and confusion. When we are up to our tiptoes 
will we say with Isaiah, God is with us. In the end, it's going to be okay. In fact, in the end, it's going to be much better than okay. We are going to believe God, trust His Word, obey Him, come what may. We're, we, are, we are here with God, come what may, and it's going to be good in the end because God is with us. He is the Ancient of Days. He will not be thwarted. And He knows my name. So, What does that mean, though? To believe the promises of God, even when you're up to your neck in trouble and sorrow, it means to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, that brings us to our fourth part of our sermon. We've looked at the, the gracious ultimatum that Ahaz was given, and he refused it, and so God gave him the punishment he deserved. And we've looked at the, the, the gracious ultimatum God has given us. Now we have to remember together that God has given Jesus the punishment we deserve. In Matthew 1, Matthew 1, the Lord comes to Joseph in a dream. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Yes, she is a virgin, and yes, she will give birth. Yes, both of those things are true. Yes, she is a virgin. Yes, she will give birth, because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, I, I, it's debatable. It's debatable what son, what baby boy they were talking about in the days of Ahaz and Isaiah. That's debatable. Lots of good people are on all kinds of different sides of that. But here's, here's the truth. Here's the end of the matter. Here's the ultimate final fulfillment. It is Jesus Christ. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So this is what it means to trust the promises of God, to believe his word. It, it means to to trust Jesus, to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises to His people. It means that we must turn away from our sin and our unbelief and turn to Jesus to believe that He has come to save His people from their sins. It means to, to believe that you need to be saved from your sin. You need to be forgiven for the sins that you have committed. It means to believe that, 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 that the, the death and the, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only way that you can be saved. Believe that Jesus was punished for you. That God gave Jesus the punishment that you deserve. Maybe you're like Ahaz this morning. Maybe you're not interested in, in believing the Gospel because you don't, you don't want the Word of God to tell you what to do. You don't want to turn away from doing things your own way. You don't want to turn your back on that. You don't want to repent of your sin. You don't want forgiveness because you don't want to stop being your own boss. You, you, you want to be your own king. So you don't want Jesus. You want something else. Something different. You want to go a different way. Please this morning, please reconsider 
Please understand that, that whatever it is that you love so much that you're willing to reject Jesus for, it's like Assyria. I mean, it may seem great now, but in the end it will destroy you. It will send you to hell where you will be punished forever. God used Assyria to punish Ahaz and all those who rejected him. God will send you to hell. Which is what everyone who rejects Jesus deserves. So please turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Please do it today. If you have any questions about this, please come and and I will be sitting on that front pew catching my breath after this sermon. Come talk to me. Sit next to me. Ask me any questions you have. I'll try try to help you think through this. There's nothing more important than believing the Gospel and doing it today. Or maybe you're not like Ahaz. Maybe, by the grace of God, by the work of the Spirit in your heart, maybe, maybe you do believe the Gospel. Maybe you're like, you're like the remnant in the Old Testament. We believe. We believe. Yeah, life is, is about to get really, really hard, but we believe. Yes, we're standing on our tiptoes, but, but with, our, with our chin just barely above water, we're saying, yes, we believe. The, the, those who rise up against God in the end will get what's coming to them. And He will, He will take care of His anointed, and because He's gonna take care of His anointed, He's gonna take care of all those who belong to His anointed. We are safe in Christ. We believe this. So you're, you're saying that. Uh, but you, you are feeling it. You are up to your neck in trouble, in sorrow, or heartache, or sickness, or stress, or confusion. You're, you're feeling it. Can I just encourage you this morning just to keep believing the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep believing. Hold on to the beautiful truth that, that Jesus Christ was born for you. That, that when it says, if by God's grace you have believed the Gospel, then it says He will save His people from their sins. You're those people. When it says God is with us, you are the us. God is with you. He has promised, Christ has promised that in this world you would have trouble, but He has overcome the world. The very end of the book of Matthew. So the the beginning of the book of Matthew starts with God is with us. Emmanuel, Jesus is here, so God is with us. And what does Jesus say at the end of the book of Matthew? I am with you until the end of the age. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. So when trouble comes, and it's going to come, please remember, you're not actually standing on the tips of your toes. You may feel like you're standing on the tips of your toes, but you're not the one keeping your head above water. You are being held by your great shepherd. You're, you're being held. You're being healed by your great physician. You're being protected by your great king. You're being represented by your great high priest. You are being saved by your great Savior. He has taken the punishment you deserve and He will take you home one day. Just believe this. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the strength that You give to to tackle big, long passages. We thank You for the attentiveness that You gave to Your people this morning. We thank You that You, um, because, because of the Holy Spirit's work in Mary, that she, she gave birth to 
the Son of God. Because of the virgin birth, we are sure that Jesus is God with us. He has come to to save us from our sins. So we pray that no matter what's happening to us, no matter what's happening to us, no matter if we feel the the trouble is coming up and it's it's hard for us to even breathe, no matter what's happening in our lives, we can, be, we can be just as confident as Isaiah was. That in the end, it's going to be good that you are going to take care of, of anyone who would rise up against you. And what that means for the people who trust in you is that you're going to, when you, when you handle them, when you take them out, when you give them the punishment they deserve, that you are also going to bring us into complete and perfect safety and joy forever, that one day we will be face to face with the Ancient of Days and our joy will be complete. We thank you that until then we can trust in you. You know our name. We struggle, God. We feel weak and we feel helpless sometimes. We feel alone sometimes. We pray that in those moments you will remind us Christ has been born for us. That we, can, that we can trust in Him. We can believe His Gospel. It's in His name we pray. Amen.